The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Leck and Alex Wood. What are you doing? Well, I was kind of feeling my jam. I just decided to let the theme song go this week, Alex. Uh, that's not what we do, Rob. There's a set time for the intro. Yeah, you know, I, honestly, full disclosure, I wanted everyone to know that this, the rest of the song is not quite as good as the part that we normally let you play. I think it's just that you're in vacation mode, Rob, and I think you're just, your mind's not here. It could be that my mind is on a beach somewhere sipping margaritas while you enjoy shoveling your driveway. Yeah, well, hopefully not, but maybe a little bit. <laughs> maybe a little bit. Uh, but that is the Agrarians playing uh, The Language of Blame, which, as I mentioned, has a great intro and a great exit. A little mediocre on the singing. <laughs> so um, back to sort of regularly scheduled, welcome to Colorado Equals Security. <laughs> uh, this is the newscast for episode 54 for the week of uh, February 12th, right? That yes, sounds right. that yeah. sounds right. We're a couple days early here recording this week. Uh, we we have a huge number of big stories to go through this week. Yes, but, huge. But we've actually decided huge. to go through go through some not as exciting stories instead because the good ones are a little too exciting. Number one, Google, right? Google. Yeah. So uh, Google has announced that they are, are hiring thousands in nine states, and some of those are going to be in Colorado. Apparently, they already have a decent number of employees here, but they could be hiring as many as you know a, a thousand plus people here in Google in the future. Yeah, and their office is up in the Boulder area. So um, maybe us Denver folks, that's why we don't realize there, there are already so many Google people here. Yeah. But uh, that's good good news. And if Google hiring people here wasn't enough to excite you, well, we've got some news. Yeah, so um, the Silicon Valley software firm Zactly um, is expanding in Denver. So I believe that their offices are downtown on uh, Larimer Square, I think. They already have uh, 150 or so people here, and they say they could have as many as four to 500 more folks get hired here in the next couple of years. They didn't give exactly the time frame about when that was going to happen, but, you know, it'll get there. It'll get there. So when you think about cybersecurity problems for our state, if, you had to, if I had to ask you to give me one word for what technology solution do you think could really solve our problems, what would you tell me? Um, you know what? The first thing that comes to my mind, Blockchain. Blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jinx. <laughs> it, it's got to be blockchain, right? It's got to be blockchain. Well, uh, if, if you haven't heard, there is a new law proposed out there um, about you how having our state of Colorado CISO, Debbie Blythe, and I show her whole team look into how they can use blockchain and other encryption to improve security. Yeah. So there was a bill introduced in the Senate um, that essentially it's trying – it has good intentions, right? We're trying to increase the security of uh, of data at the state, uh, and also um, I think they sort of threw in there, uh, you know, a recreational marijuana transaction as well. Um, but you know, they sort of I think a little bit went off the rails and also threw in blockchain. That hey, let's <laughs> let's use blockchain to do this. So the ideas are great. I I, I am. Of course, being a little ironic here, I think it's it's a little silly to expect blockchain to be, you know, it's a technology. It's not a solution. 
Um, and, and there's this quote in here from one of the politicians, a, a, a house representative from Colorado Springs. And he says, uh, that's the exciting part about this. There's hundreds, if not thousands of use cases for this. It's a transformative technology. We don't know what it's going to do, but we know it's very powerful. Yes. Uh, very I, powerful. He, he literally has no idea what it's going to do. And either do we, right? And, and we had a conversation about this on the Slack channel in the last week or so, right? That you know, blockchain sounds like a cool thing, but are there any actual in, implemented uh, use cases where it's helping with security and any of our companies? I mean, and even beyond that, even if we think blockchain is going to save the world, um, I don't think putting any particular type of technology into a law is right. a good idea, right? right? So uh, this is sort of like saying, hey, you know what? Um, the uh, Debbie Blythe needs to investigate uh, Windows NT <laughs> and has to use Windows NT to uh, to secure our state government. <laughs> to be fair, so, they, they do say or another distributed ledger, ledger technology, and there, there's not there's a few others out there, but blockchain is the number one. So okay, so that's saying um, we have to use Windows NT or another Windows operating system. <laughs> there you go. You know, you uh, a little it bit is, better. It's, it's a little it's a little limiting. Yeah, sure. I, I agree with you. There, there's obviously a need to get better across the board, and and if there's a place where we can utilize blockchain for i guess really transparency and getting you know trust in a dis decentralized system that's great but that's just not not the way to do right security Let, let's figure out um the stuff that we want to do and then figure out a way to secure it as opposed go. to telling somebody how to do something yeah because it's secure yeah and of course throw in the the pot industry it just well, <laughs> well hey because we're in colorado right we care about pot um, new topic, new topic. So this, the next article I think actually was fairly interesting. Um, it was about mentoring. So, uh, this is really just talking about, are you ready to be a mentor? And, you know, I have been a mentor. I've been a mentee. Um, I think mentorship is, is a great experience, but there are some key points that this article talks about that you really need to be able to, to think about if you want to be a good mentor or even a good mentee. Yeah. Um, you know, first, are you willing to make the time to do it? Uh, some people think, okay, well, this sounds like a great idea, but then you don't invest the time and it just doesn't work. Right. Um, the second one was, are you able to be honest about your experiences? A lot of times, um, people are not interested in giving the actual truth. You want to, you know, maybe sugarcoat it a little bit and that's not going to help you get any better. Right. So you really need to be honest. And then also, are you comfortable with difficult conversations? If you're a mentor, oftentimes you're going to have to tell your mentee um, some serious things that they might not want to hear. Hey, sure. um, you know, I want to be, um, I want to be king of the world. Okay, um, yeah. hold on there. You don't quite have the uh, the makeup to be king of the world. So let's think about something else. Yeah, that's great. A great feedback. I know that this was a big topic at the women in security meeting last week. Um, the, the, I got the report back from it where they were talking about mentorship and really this kind of level above mentorship, they called it sponsorship where you're, you know, you're not just there to help someone get better, but really to help promote them within an organization or help them find that next thing. Uh, another, and another cool thing that I, I, I loved the concept of partnering with someone less junior in their career that you can help move up the ranks, you know, assuming of course that it's a good fit, but right. be, being right. that guide for them. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point too. Um, so next article, Gates, we, we talked about that Gates had an IPO. Um, this, this article just really talks about how it ended up going. They made, I'm going to call it an even billion. 
Uh, <laughs> they made an even billion dollars on this uh, transaction. Several hundred million, I will right. say. Seven hundred ninety-nine million. Yeah, they, they, the, the, the headline rounds it up to eight hundred million. Uh, I think we can just call it a billion. This was sort of. Uh, I think they ended up at nineteen dollars a share for mm-hmm. their IPO price, which is sort of right in the middle of their range. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure they could have done better, but this is great, great news for them. Especially considering that how bad the stock market's been the last week or so, they're yes. still hovering right around their IPO price. So they're, they're doing better than most of the market right now. Exactly. Uh, next, there was an article in Forbes this week, uh, interviewing Brian Baer, um, of Red Canary. Yeah. Brian's the CEO over there. We've had him on the show already. Uh, Brian's just talking about, you know, where we are in terms of the, the skills shortage and, and how. Um, we can get good at responding to more events by leveraging something like Red Canary. Yeah, great to see uh, Brian, especially in Forbes. I mean, that's yeah. that, that's a big deal. That's yeah. not, that's not some little podunk publication. Yeah, it, it's just neat that he was able to uh, make it into Forbes. It's pretty cool stuff. Uh, next story is Logrhythm giving some more detail on that intelligence. Last week, we talked about their integration with WebRoot's threat intelligence into the SIM. If you remember, that's the news we got directly from New Zealand about the two Colorado yep. companies. Yep. Uh, this week, they go into some more detail on how you do integration. So if you are a Logarithm customer or considering it and you want to get that intelligence into your into your SIM, I think you read this article to, to learn some more. Yeah, so this is the actual um, Logarithm release on, the, on this. So it did come out in New Zealand first and now it just finally <laughs> caught up to the US. Yeah. Uh, and finally, in the news this week, um, in the February issue of the ISSA Journal, uh, Gail Corey is is featured. So last year in 2017, she was uh, part of the ISSA Honor Roll, which yep. is the highest honor that you can get. So congratulations again to Gail. And this is a profile of her, and I'm sure that they'll have other profiles of honor roll members or uh, yeah. honorees in the future. Very cool. Uh, congratulations to Gail, and uh, you know, thanks to Steve for letting us know about this being in, in the in the journal this this month. We hadn't seen it yet. We hadn't got our our hard copies in the mail yet. Exactly. Uh, so as a reminder, we do ask you guys to to go out and do a rate on the show, subscribe to the show, get it in your inbox every week. Um, we also have the Slack channel I already mentioned. There's a link in the show notes. There's a link on the main side of our website to join Slack. We've got, call it, you know, 290 people in the Slack channel now. Very yeah. vibrant conversations. It is humming. Yeah, it's, it's been really good. Uh, also sign up for our mailing list. Um, and then let's move on to trivia. Yep. So trivia this week, uh, actually for last week, was what Colorado statute prohi- statutes prohibit uh, computer or cyber crime and we got a couple answers our number one our first answer actually came from from debbie blythe the cso for the state of colorado she recused herself uh, i don't know why she did that because maybe she thinks you know she has it all memorized it's not fair yeah um, but we did get a, an answer really actually just right after that from phil wong congratulations to phil uh and of course alex you, you know i'm sure you want to say what that statute is you know it's um colorado revised statute 18-5.5-101 of course yeah i mean we all knew that I've... Yeah. I've got that memorized. So congratulations to Phil. Uh, and of yep. course, thank you to Andre Gata. Andre is our sponsor for these every week. Um, he has sent off a lovely gift over to Phil. Yep. And this week, um, our trivia question is, uh, which former podcast guest boxed against Julio Cesar Chavez? Wow. So did we have a professional uh, boxer on the show? I don't, I, I don't remember a professional yeah. boxer. Interesting. Yeah. Was it you, Rob? <laughs> did, did you box I'm, against I'm not. A, I'm not a guest. I mean, uh, yes, true. I mean, I did. I did box him you know. when, you know, because he, he was old by then and <laughs> and he still kicked my uh, behind. All right. So uh, info at colorado-security.com with the answer. First uh, answer, correct answer in uh, wins the trivia question. 
So get that in as soon as you can. All right, jump over to events. As a reminder, we do have a calendar of events on the website. It is a packed house for the next couple of months. So go ahead and take a look out there and plan out your stuff going into the future. I'm going to go first because I think this is so cool. There is an event in the Netherlands library. I believe it's fair to say uh, this is the biggest security event to ever hit Netherlands. Definitely the Netherlands library. Yeah, it is a cybersecurity for the individual training. Uh, cool stuff. And that's happening on the 13th on Tuesday. So if you are really anywhere in Colorado, it's probably worth the drive to Netherlands to, to experience, number one, the event at the library. And number two, go check out their, their uh, hand-carved animals on the carousel at the in the middle of town sweet uh also on the 13th and 14th issa denver is having their february chapter meetings on the 15th uh, secure set has their career conversations with chris roberts that's uh that's thursday the 15th uh also on the 15th densec has their north meetup uh the third of our four items on the 15th is isaka having their february meeting which is around active defense why duck when you can hit back? Mm, I like duck. <laughs> uh, finally, on the 15th, OWASP Boulder, uh, they're having automating offensive and defensive cyber ops with John Grigg. So this is actually the first time that we've got uh, OWASP Boulder on our calendar. So going forward, we'll, we'll plan to get all their events on here. Uh, we just didn't have the sync up with that previously. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times the Boulder and Denver ones are the same. Good to see that they're uh, branching out. Yeah. Uh, the, the following week on the 17th, ISSA Colorado Springs is having a mini seminar. Uh, on the 20th, CSA is having their February meeting. Uh, and Colorado Springs ISSA is having their February meetings on the 20th and 21st. That's the dinner on the 20th and the lunch on the 21st. On the 21st, ISSA Denver is having a happy hour. And that's actually sold out. So um, you can get on a wait list, but I don't, I don't yeah. think you're probably going to get on. Just go show up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> maybe don't do that <laughs> and also on the 21st cta has their day at the capitol this is an opportunity to get to learn what's going on uh, in the capitol with our legislature all that good stuff let's talk about some of the events a little bit further out there's a couple coming up uh, we have Snowfrock, which is scheduled for the 8th of march great lineup um, it, registration is up go out there if you want to take a look at who the keynotes are all the good events going on it's a good opportunity to get to meet and talk about application security stuff. And then, of course, uh, May 8th, 9th, and 10th is the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Um, as we are recording this, uh, we are about to close the call for papers. So we're going to be getting that lineup set here pretty quick. Uh, we also have pretty much confirmed all of the pre-conference sessions. So we are going to have that uh, updated on the website here shortly. And registration for attendees is open. So if you want to yeah. go ahead and register, it is available to go do that now. Uh, Early birds open till March 7th, I believe. Uh, that sounds correct. Yeah, I think it's March 7th. So you, you'll have, you have a few weeks left to get early bird pricing. Uh, I will say uh, there, we have had the best response to our CFP we've ever had. You know, we, we were going to have to let go of, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of 80% of the submissions. So we are going to have, we're going to have really high quality content this year. We're excited about it. And hopefully you will be too. Uh, one other event I wanted to, to highlight is the sea level at mile high event that's happening on the 15th of March. Um, this has not normally been a security event, but this year, you know, we've been working with the, the presidents and some of the organizers from the CTA to get the security community more involved. Um, so we're going to have CISOs up on the stage and we're really trying to get that Colorado equal security community plugged in with the larger Colorado tech community. So we hope you guys can make it. And of course you would know about all these events if you went out to the website and checked out our event calendar. <laughs> 
Um, so you should definitely go do that. Um, we update it pretty frequently. Um, if you're planning an event, check there first so that you don't overlap with somebody. And if you're interested in finding out what's going on, go ahead and check that out. Uh, jump over to jobs. First, Holland and Hart is hiring an information security officer. Nice. Uh, next, BP is looking for a security architect. Aero Electronics is also hiring a security architect, but this one is focused on applications. It's really an AppSec type of an architect position. Uh, QEP Resources, where I used to work, is looking for an IT security analyst. That's uh, working with our friend uh, Dave McGuire over there. Yep. Uh, Red Sky Solutions is hiring a senior systems engineer. They are a reseller who focus on reselling security solutions. So it'd be a fun place to get your technical uh, your your technical chops up to industry stuff. And that is a, a Denver job, but could also be based in Utah if sure. you so desired. Uh, Burwood Group is looking for a senior network security consultant. Um, Kivu is hiring a couple positions. They're hiring an associate director and an analyst. And these positions are both it's consulting gig and uh, they're located here in Denver. But I think you're going to be traveling a little bit if you do either of those. SecureSet is looking for a vice president of educational products and programming. That's we've talked, exciting. We've talked about SecureSet a number of times on, the, on the show, but just as a reminder, they are the local cybersecurity boot camp where they do these you know, six-month tra- uh, crash courses to learn how to get into security. Uh, this would be a great opportunity to, to really help create those programs, it looks like. Optive is hiring a director of content strategy and CyberGRX is hiring a content strategy, content marketing manager. So if you know what security marketing should look like, you got a couple of different opportunities here. Maybe you can play each company off the other one, get the best opportunity. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Good job. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's it for news, right? That is it. I think that's it for the newscast. Yeah. So we do have uh, our feature interview this week with uh, Cam Williams. Yeah. So I've known uh, Cam for a long time. We used to Worked together back in the day at IBM, and uh, he has now started his own company in the identity and access management space. So we uh, we delve into that, talk about what they're doing, uh, some exciting stuff. All right. Well, thanks, Alex. We'll talk to you in a week. Thanks, Rob. This is Steve Corey at the City and County of Denver. This is Colorado Equal Security for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. This is Alex Wood. And I am here with Cam Williams, who is the co-founder and CTO of Over at Watch ID. Hi. How's it going, Cam? Uh, good. How are you? Good um, morning. Good morning. Yeah. Um, so we obviously, we go a ways back. We do. Um, I, I've known you, man, basically since, <laughs> since sort of my beginning in technology when we both yeah, worked at IBM. That's right. Yep. A long um, time ago. Back yeah. in the good old days, you were doing, uh, yeah. you know, hosting work and and yeah. uh, sort of infrastructure network stuff on that side, and yeah. I was in the, on the security side. That's right. Yep. Um, kind of stayed in touch over the years. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think kind of to start, why don't you give everybody kind of a background on, on where you came from, um, stuff that you've had go on in your career. Sure. Just to to kind of bring everybody up to the speed of yeah. where you are today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, or like you said, we I started out here in Colorado and at, at IBM. Um, prior to that, I was working for MCI uh, in the government division with so working for some three-letter acronyms and so on. Uh, and uh, then moved out here to Boulder uh, after the WorldCom debacle, <laughs> if you will, uh, and moved out here with IBM and with eBusiness Hosting, and uh, did network and network security as well. Uh, and then went to a com- I left in '04, went to a company called Vertella, and I started the security group at Vertella, uh, built that up, uh, managed services, some managed security services, a lot of reselling back into IBM. So IBM was yeah. about 
60 or so percent of our business um, was white labeling our managed network services and managed security services. I remember back then it was the sort of the, the managed VPN service. Yeah, right? that, yep. was, that was one of the things that sticks out to me for Vertella. Yep, we started out doing managed VPN for with IBM, so a lot of a lot of uh, back-end connectivity to the hosting environments and so on, um, and then branched out into doing managed firewall, managed intrusion prevention, and and other other countermeasure management. So um, a lot of uh, in the GTS, the so global technology services, so so um, outsource engagements with like KPMG or BP and other things like that. So. Um, I left in, so NT, or Vertella got acquired by NTT, uh, end of 2013. Uh, I went to Juniper for a little bit, Juniper Networks, and worked in their security business unit. Worked on uh, SSL VPN uh, technology as well as uh, the JDDS, which is the DDoS platform there, and another platform called Argon Secure, that got mothballed, but it was a, a FireEye sandboxing mm-hmm. competitor, if you will. So, Sweet. Uh, then came back to to Colorado with uh, IntelliSecure. So I was VP of engineering over at IntelliSecure for almost two years uh, and worked, worked on uh, a privilege access management system for, for the operations group over there, uh, application monitoring system, built out uh, a pen test system as well, and, and then jumped ship and, and started Overwatch with my business partner, Andy. So in November of 2016, so nice. over a year ago. Yep. So, uh, so it's kind of funny, you are not the first uh, former IBM person that I know that we've interviewed on this show. Yeah, is that um, right? Why, it's interesting and more curious to me, yeah. why do you think that um, that so many people that came out of there have been so successful? You know what, it was, when we were at IBM, when you and I were there, it was just, it felt like a, like like you could do, like you could get your hands on anything. Um, yeah. Like I started, my background was network engineering. I did a little bit of security um at MCI with you know, FAA and DOD and some other some other acronyms and stuff like that, but but like you know like PIX firewalls. Right back then it was that's the only security platform that was out. Right, and then when when I j- got over to IBM, it was literally like I started in the networking group, moved into the security group for your business, and was doing breach mitigation for you know large banks and beat, you know oil oil companies and large retailers and things like that. So. Um, it was a great place to, to learn and get your hands dirty if you wanted to. Like if you wanted to try something else or get into something new, and pretty much the sky was the limit. So yeah, I mean, and one of the things that I always remember too is there was always somebody you could find yep. that had knowledge that you could acquire. Right? Yeah, so absolutely. That, yeah. So it wasn't it's a very um, collaborative environment. I, yeah. I feel like a lot of times in your you're a smaller company or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you, you've got to you know reach out to a consultant or somebody like that to maybe get that that sort of in depth knowledge that you yeah. need. And there was always, you know, there was trouble finding some people sometimes. Yeah. But once you found them, yeah, there was going to be somebody there that, that you could get the knowledge from and, and help you learn. Yeah, and absolutely. Get the job done. Absolutely. I think you know the, the fact that we were working. It wasn't just like working in an enterprise where you're, this is your company and get you know you that you work on this one thing. I, yeah. I would go from Target.com to you know Wamu.com to Bank of you know BankOne.com and work on those different .com environments, and they were completely different. You know they're kind of similar but different equipment different uh technologies and and, and such in play so it was really uh, a, a great environment to to cut my teeth in so yeah and one of the other things that i remember too is uh do you, do you remember the, the ibm swap shop oh yeah <laughs> that, i mean that was like it wasn't only knowledge but it's you know they had this uh you know this marketplace essentially where there was 
essentially secondhand kind of hardware and, and stuff like right. that. So it's, yep. hey, um, my business unit can't afford to um, to buy a brand new server or a brand new firewall or whatever it is. Right. You know, somebody on some engagement somewhere is no longer using this and they're essentially putting it up for, for swap. Yeah. And, you know, you could go out there and grab all this kind of stuff to, you know, just to play around with. Just to play with around with, or, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you'd have to take on the whatever cost was less left with that, but sometimes it was free, right? Yeah. It's just you had to have someone, you know, uh, go pick it up or whatever. Right. I always thought that was awesome too. That and the, the the brown bag sessions with the different yeah. teams, so you could like if you wanted to learn like database administration, go and work with the DBA guys and do a brown bag session with that they were hosting, which is pretty cool. So there's yeah. lots of that going on as well. It was a great environment. So. Yeah. So going from a, a company that's several hundred thousand people, yeah. <laughs> um, now you're the, the co-founder of a startup. Yeah. Um, what's that been like? Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great experience. You know, I went from, you know, I guess when I started at Vertello and I built the security group there, I was kind of like building a startup within a startup. Um, so I had a little bit of experience, you know, and, and, and know what to expect with the, the slings and arrows of starting your own business right. and working out of coffee shops at first and you know, getting, acquiring a team and, uh, you know, and then eventually, you know, going, getting to an alpha product or a, a minimum viable product and so on. Um, it's been, I mean, it's, it's exactly what I want to do. Um, yeah. and I, I've, I, I can't be happier with what, what, what we have going on right now. So, so, so what was it that made you make the jump? Was it, did you see a, a, a product yeah. niche? Did, was it, you know, you wanted to, to work for yourself? Yeah. A little bit of all of that stuff? A little bit of all that. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I, Access management's near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, I built and managed access management systems at Vertella. Um, you know, we had security engineers, and as you know, security engineers are hard to retain. And then when you have you know four hundred plus clients, how do you you know the how do you manage credentials in, in a safe way and not have them walk out the door every time you have to you know one of your engineers leaves the organization? So um, that was the prime my primary concern back back at Vertella. And then as I went to Juniper and working on SAML on the SSL VPN platform and, and you know, just kind of, I, I just kept on having that, you know, get, getting back to the roots of my, you know, I want to fix this identity problem. I, I, did, I did some breach mitigation as well. After I left IBM, you know, I built, I built I, well, I did the, built the security uh, platform for BP and worked on, uh, you know, the BP dot uh, uh, com environment during the oil spill and restore that. A couple of our ex-IBM buddies were over there as well, yeah. uh, working on that, and did, did some other breach mitigation, and all, all, all the while seeing that you know the the uh, you know the credential compromise was the primary breach vector for those those major breaches that I I had my hands on, and so I just you know interested to solve that problem, um, and then when I was at my last my last gig at, at Intel Secure, where I was able to go ahead and build out. You know, kind of a version one PAM system um, really got me uh, seeing and having go, having gone around the country and and met with uh, companies like Epic and MD Anderson and other companies that had deployed existing countermeasures for privilege access management and and some other you know and Casby and things like that and seeing some of the problems with their deployments like fractional or partial deployments for for other vendors that shall remain nameless. Uh, yeah, I saw. You know, in my background also being heavy in automation, so and using orchestration automation technologies, I saw an area to, you know, solve a problem. So that's really where Overwatch came to fruition, I guess. So. Yeah. So let let's jump into that part of it. Yeah. Because um, 
we haven't really talked about what it is that you guys do. Sure. So what is it really that the, you know, you mentioned um, identity management, privileged access management. What is it really the, the problem that you guys are, are trying to solve? Yeah, I, I think uh, we see identity security as, you know, one of the biggest breach vectors our identity, the identity vec- breach vector is the, is, the, is the biggest breach vector according to Verizon Data Breach Report and other, other areas. Um, you know, we saw some, I saw some significant problems in the market that, you know, that were destined to be solved by, by my company. So, um, you know, one of, the, one of the problems that we, we saw was, you know, there were large enterprises spending, you know, millions and millions of dollars on security countermeasures for identity security, and they're still getting breached anyway. And what our, our concept is, hey, you need to, you know, the, the whole zero trust model and, and so on of, of solving, you know, how, how do you secure an environment assuming that there's malware on your in your environment or malware on your, your endpoint and so on? How do you operate safely within that? There's there's three tenants to that, still endpoint perimeter, but also there's a whole security niche for solving the zero trust model or, or creating a creating a, a, a platform for zero trust. Uh, and, and that's, we with multi-factor authentication and, and cloud access security brokering and privilege access management and and uh, and single you know federation and so on, coupling all those together um, in, in a multi multi vendor solution has seemed to be a problem for a lot of our, our clients and and our, our our kind of vision of combining all those into one platform, making it easy to deploy, uh, is really what we set out to do. So, and then use use automation as much as possible to auto deploy. So that you can get in meet as as quickly and ROI as, as possible. So. Yeah. So, so I mean, it sounds like to me that the big the big draw here is sort of single platform, right? Yeah. So I, I mean, there obviously are other CASB solutions, or yep. other identity management solutions, other uh, PAM PIM whatever you want to yeah. call it. Yeah. Uh, PIM PAM <laughs> solutions. Or the acronym you want to use. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it sounds like for for you guys that that driver is maybe not only making great products in those areas, but making yep. it all together. Yeah, I think you know our, our you know I was an early adopter of uh, you know Palo Alto, and you know I, I saw I saw definitely a great advantage to using so what Palo Alto did with with, with combining um, technologies onto one uh, perimeter perimeter security technologies like intrusion prevention and URL filtering and firewalling and that application identification all, and putting all of that into one platform making it easy to deploy. Uh, I think you know that really was another motivation of ours. Like, hey, let's just not make a better PAM solution or let's not not make a better Casby solution. Let's make a solution that that does all of these things. They're really identity security and they really all need to work together. So yeah, having a converged solution was we set out to build a converged solution day one. Um, and then converged sometimes has a bad. A bad name to it, I guess. Right. Converge with without being less feature rich, right? Our, our our goal also was, hey, you know, a lot of our our competitors, you know, they'll they'll sell you a Windows broker and then they'll sell you another license for um, you uh, uh, RDP sessions and then they'll sell you another thing for you uh, web session uh, uh, brokering and so on and then and these are each licenses they'll sell you. You know, our our vision was, hey, you need Pam is you know RDP shell and and and, uh, and and web connections with all of the auditing that you need on top of that and integrated with you know ITSMs and for governance and so on all of that we call PAM not just piecemeal and that's we we wanted to include a fe- feature rich capabilities out of the box so that was another goal of ours when we set out to deploy it, and you, to build. yeah yeah and you you mentioned automation also mm-hmm. 
um, which is something that, um, that that makes me feel good because you know not just in the identity space but any sort of solution that you buy, um, you you see it demoed, you you hear about it, you um, you know you see somebody oh yeah there's a piece of cake it's gonna you know you pull it out of the box it's yeah. ready to go yeah um, but then you you get into it. And, you know, it's going to take you, you know, six months and, you know, thousands of man hours or whatever it is to actually get this working. That's right. So, so how is it that, uh, that you guys um, attacked that part of it and, and how is it that automation plays into it? Yeah, that? that's, you know, my background is heavy in automation. I did a lot of automation at, at Vertella um, before leaving to go to Juniper and, do, and using things like CloudStack 1.0 and, and other, uh, you know, that, that this back in 2009, 2010 when pre-Ansible and, and pre-Chef and pre-Puppet, but, you know, using using orchestration, I'm a little guy, I call it orchestration, but yeah. DevOps, if you will, DevOps technology, like, like and using that to auto-configure. So for, for privilege access management, for instance, the reason why it takes so long to deploy is that you have to touch every single endpoint. You literally have to log in every server, configure it to work with that, that, that PAM system, log in every router, switch, firewall, so on. And you know, our goal was to solve that that problem. That instead of having to manually do that, you know, we built automation to reach out and do that in minutes, not months. So, um, and that's that's one of our pieces. Another piece is we we do uh, we use the same um, automation technology to do credential management. So how we use credentials in our vault and how we add credentials to target systems and roll those tar- those credentials. We use the same technology to do that. And it, it actually becomes more secure because we're not requiring like a domain admin cred or a directory-based admin credential to manage credentials and roll them and so on, which is another problem that we wanted to solve. And we see that as a, you know, a, an actual security issue, right? And, and there's lots of uh, literature on the on the on the internet that would show that 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 that, that actually creates a breach vector in, in and of itself. So we wanted to avoid that. So our architecture, having you know, seen other solutions and, and, and looking at some of the problems that were in place, you know, automation being one of them, and then security efficacy being another that, that we were really, um, we really wanted to set out to solve those two problems out of the gate. Yeah, and uh, you bring up something that, um, that that I have seen a lot lately is, you know, it, it used to be, um, you know, all, all these systems had localized accounts and everybody thought, oh, this is horrible. We got to do all this password management. Right. Um, you know, we don't want to do this. Hey, w- why don't we use a directory service? Right. And you know, <laughs> of, of course, ninety percent of the um, the people out there use Active Directory. Um, and, hey, you know, look, we can do uh, centralized credential management. Um, we can do you know group policy. All all these things that that seem great about Active Directory. Right. Um, but now the way that I see it is uh, those are great. But it also enables so many problems. Yeah, so that's right. Um, you know, now you have all these privileged accounts that if someone gets a hold of them, um, then now you have essentially the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I see this being sort of preached more and more. Like you know, Active Directory is actually a, a big problem. It is. Um, yeah. You know, you can also, you know, if you get inside a network, hey, you can use Active Directory legitimately, not even having to have access privilege to essentially. Look up everything that's in the domain. You that's can right. find your whole attack surface. So, yeah, um, right. I mean, I, maybe if you just talk a little bit about, you know, uh, how you guys see that Active Directory security, yeah. um, you know, 
we, how do you like, see that happening? Yeah, we really see like directory-based credentials or Active Directory and LDAP and uh, uh, direct. We call them directory-based credentials. Is is definitely an ease of use thing. It's definitely makes you. It's easier to manage your your user environment with directory-based credentials, but it also you know causes some significant security issues, like you said. So if you if you're able to breach that or, or, or obtain that credential, um, you can legitimately move throughout the environment without. Uh, with 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 you know laterally move from, from system to system to system as long as you have ac- that credential has access to that system. So um, one of the things that we do, and that's just not not only for you know internal uh, lateral movement, but also you know things like SAML, right? SAML we SAML and and, and federation single sign-on federation to cloud applications. Mm-hmm. You're still using a directory-based credential if you can obtain that directory-based credential. Um, because if you're federating using SAML. To uh, cloud applications, that allows once that that credential is breached, it allows for lateral movement between cloud applications as well. Um, so one of the things that we set out to do with our with our platform is you know get is is solve that problem. Now we now we support credential based or our uh, directory based credentials. All of our clients, you know, there's a crawl walk run right with when they set up our our solution. All of our clients want to start with, hey, we already have directory based credentials. Everybody's got an ad, you know. You know, C Williams and C Williams dash A for the admin account and so on. Um, so we have we support that, but we do it in a more secure way. We don't use again, we don't use domain admin credentials to manage our credentials. That's the first thing we don't don't yeah. do. Uh, and then number two, we actually ha- have a conversation with our, our clients about hey, look, you know, the whole concept of local credentials had a bad name name to it because you couldn't manage them. If you if you weren't you had to manually manage local credentials on all your systems, right? Um, and that was a problem forever and ever. Even when we were back at IBM and so on, everybody said, you know, local credentials are bad, don't do that. Um, but, and the reason why is there, there wasn't an effective way to manage those. Um, using our orchestration technology, our, our automation technology, we were able to add, change, delete, remove, detect new credentials and so on on target systems. And, and because we can do that on not only, you know, servers and firewalls, but we can also do that with cloud applications as well. So we can create local credentials that, that are local personas for users, track those, roll those iteratively, so one-time use even if we wanted to. We see that as more a, a more effective way to manage credentials for privilege access management um, instead of using a directory-based credential that, again, gives you the keys to the kingdom if you're able to, to spear phishing and, and obtain that credential. Um, and that, instead of one key for 10,000 locks, that's 10,000 keys for 10,000 locks. So the concept of it so nice um, so obviously uh, you know your preference would be that that folks come in and use your your services for for these types of things yeah. but are there sort of general recommendations that that you would give people even if they weren't using um, overwatch yeah as, I think as as part of you know improving their security yeah in yeah. terms of uh, authentication and, and credentials yeah we play well with others so I mean to, to be clear our platform does these four things but can work well with other MFA technologies and other uh, federation technologies and so on um, we partner we're partnering with some of the, some of those some of those companies as well um, but any in any case you know I think an effective identity security strategy starts with you know managing Privilege access management, and then adding multi-factor authentication in wherever you can to get, eliminate, uh, you know, credentials. Period, and having rolling credentials and pseudo pseudo credentials and so on. Um, I, I also think that having an effective cloud application security uh, capability, so securing 
um, Salesforce and securing not just the, the people, the sales folks that are using Salesforce, but also securing the people that actually have admin level access to Salesforce or, or admin level access to ADP, like the people in human resources. Those are, again, high value targets. It's not just the people in the IT group, but it's also the people in, that have admin level access to ADP or Workday, have admin level access to uh, you know, Salesforce and so on. So sales operations people as well. Those people are, are also high value targets because of the data that they have access to and the, the capability of you know, add, add change delete that they have that they have uh, within their quiver as well. So I think not just securing, hey, are all my servers you know effectively covered with my PAM solution, but how how am I securing you know ADP? So I think that's an effect having an effective strategy for those those types of things is important. And then using governance and and uh, governance is not only so using like even like change management. Everybody has an ITSM. Typically, every every enterprise has an ITSM deployed. Using that ITSM to enforce uh, change management, for instance, not just on router switches, firewalls, and servers, and so on, but also using that same technology to enforce change on, again, ADP or Salesforce or uh, AWS or Azure. Uh, those that's an, another area that not, not a lot of people put a lot of thought to, and I think that's an important area that takes you're every you're extending your your perimeter into the cloud by using cloud applications. You still need to secure those properly as well. So. Right. And in order to secure those, would you say use uh, built-in tools that those platforms have? Or are you thinking about um, you know, uh, configuration settings, security settings, yeah. uh, that sort of stuff? Or uh, do you think it needs to go beyond that tool too? Or are there other tools that you need to put in place? Yeah, I think, I think being able to you know, secure, again, the, user, the users of those tools, uh, is the, is they're, they're the biggest breach factor for even those tools, right? Using the same security countermeasures that are in place for... Uh, that Salesforce and ServiceNow, a lot of those have the capability to say, "Hey, I want to, I want to look at only the, like front end ACLs, right? Where you can say, oh, I want only want to source this from, say, my perimeter subnets from, from, from Pulte Group or whatever." Um, using those the security capabilities of that cloud application, but also using your own systems to secure your users accessing them and accessing them safely, uh, is another. Is, there's kind of two vectors there. So yeah. Absolutely, use what what the tool, tools have in place. You know, find make sure you make sure you are using those as opposed to just you know turning on those services and focusing on what they provide. Also, look into what what actual security countermeasures they have in place as well, and being able to use those. So, uh, one of the things um, that I've seen too is obviously there's this uh, this growing CASB market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people have wanted to extend their security controls into cloud applications. Yeah. Um, and I kind of want to go down two paths here, but one one of those is, um, you know, I feel like you build these things because they, they didn't have the security capabilities already natively in these clouds. Right. But, like, the only way that you can effectively use these tools is by those cloud services having APIs and other things that you can tie into, right? That's right, yep. So, uh, so how is it that you can effectively add those additional controls to to cloud services if... You know, say they don't have a robust uh, API system that you could use, or yeah, other things like that. Uh, so we look at uh, so we look at, at cloud applications just the same way as we look at a, like a Palo Alto firewall. It's a web UI, right? It's a web user interface. Um, so we secure access to, and, and we secure users users using those cloud applications the same way we secure like an IT person logging into a Palo Alto firewall or a F five load balancer with a web user interface. 
It really just is a different vector to us. So using the same things like credential obfuscation, credential rolling, full full audit control, so key logging and, and mouse mouse click auditing and, and uh, screen capture and replay for cloud applications, so for Salesforce or AWS. Um, we use the same controls that we have in place for web user interfaces through our PAM engine for our CASB solution as well. And that's really how we look at it. Um, so using, additionally using APIs to know what's going on in that cloud application, like what's being uploaded, downloaded during that same session, um, token, making sure that there's no session hijacking going on as well. Those are all kind of key, key uh, services for our, our CASB solution. Again, we just look at it as another web user interface. It really is, you know, we, as opposed to, oh, this is a cloud app and it's complete, somehow completely different than the stuff we have internal to the organization. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, the, the other part of that is that uh, as I've seen CASB as a sort of product develop, right. it, it seems more and more like it is not a true product. Like it is really just a set of features, right? It really is, yeah. Um, stuff that you that you think that should already exist in, in cloud applications but just doesn't. Right, right? yep. Um, and my thought has always been that, that CASB is not going to stay around for very long. Yeah. Um, and I think you're, you've, the first shoe in my mind kind of dropped – uh, I guess what is last week when um, when McAfee um, bought Sky High, right? Yeah, right. So so now I'm I'm sure they'll keep it as a standalone product, but eventually it's going to be, you know, one more just add on to like the McAfee platform or something yeah, like that. Uh, yeah. You know, where do you see the Casby space going in the long? You know, I, so Gartner and Forrester all if you look at all the market guides for Casby and Pam and and so on, you know. They all say that these technologies are going to converge. I think it's they're destined to converge, just like you know next gen firewalls converge, perimeter security. I think, I, I think there's actually a, you know if you look at other vendors in the market, they're already moving that way. So there, there's you know single there's federation companies that are adding MFA and adding some other uh, I, you know uh, more in inside the perimeter security countermeasures for identity security. I think I I, absolutely, I agree with you. We we see Casby as really just pay them by another vector. It's really just a web user interface that's not that doesn't sit within your organization. It's outside of your organization. Um, but we see the, the same, the, the same. we use the same technology to secure that connection that we use for securing, again, an internal connection. We see that as all identity security, right? It's really just a feature, uh, additional features of identity security. I think I, I would agree with you. I think there's def, so CASB specifically, if you look at their 50 or 60 different the 50 or 60 vendors in the market, you'll see 50 or 60 different um, feature sets, right? Right. There's not there's not a lot of feature parity between one vendor to another in the in the CASB field. So it's almost, you know, we, we talking to Gartner and talking to Forrester and, and 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 seeing okay, well here's what they call CASB and you know trying to trying to meet that niche is 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 you know a challenge for a lot of companies. You know, our, our we look at it as again. You know, it's going to converge, and, and let's just call it all identity security. That's what. That's why. You know, that's kind of our idea of converged platform. Um, so I, yeah, I think that I think you know, uh, two years from now, I mean, you may not hear that term anymore. Um, right. But who knows? Who knows? Indeed. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit um, and focus more on you. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you? What is it? What stuff that, that makes you tick and that you do when you're not 
um, when you're not building Overwatch? Yeah, um, I do a lot of running. I do yeah. <laughs> I do a lot of running and a lot of trail running and 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 Ironman. I do a fair amount of Ironman competitions and so on. And and then you know playing with my daughter. You know that's, those are my two main things that make me happy is kiddo and running. <laughs> so. so like uh, like full. Uh, 140 whatever Ironman. Yeah, stuff. I've done I've done three full Ironmans, and I'm just branched into trying. I'm starting to do uh, trail running, so I've been I've been doing some like Ragnar relays and and trail runs like that. But I just signed up for my first 50 miler and was training for that. I actually got injured uh, back in October, so I'm still dealing with the, recovering from an injury. Uh, but I'll be back on the horse here in a little bit and hit hit, hit some. So I, I had a 50 miler planned for January, but I think I'm pushing that out till. March or April at this point, <laughs> get yeah. back on get back on the horse a little bit. So yeah, I actually um, there was a race, uh, not not that I'm running it or would even think about running it, but I think it was yeah. in Utah not too long ago. It was like a 300 miler or something like yeah, that. Yeah, wow, that's and that, there there was a uh, there, there was a woman actually here for I think she lives in Golden. Yeah, that that won the whole thing. Wow, it was like uh, and maybe I'm overstating. I don't remember the exact mileage, but yeah. it was. Um, she did it in like fifty-eight hours or something yeah, like that's that. That's crazy. She, she slept, you know, twenty minutes in, yeah, here and there yeah. in fifty-eight hours, yeah. which I just thought was incredible. That's nuts. Yeah, I, 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 I started doing Ironman. I, well, I started doing like like sprint and Olympic distance triathlons after I moved out here. Uh, I started like around two thousand five, and it was one of those things. I was like, I'll never do a full Ironman. And then I did a full Ironman. And then I had friends that were doing ultra marathons, and I they. Said, you know, I said the same thing. I'll never do an ultra marathon, and then I signed up for one. So it's kind of addictive, I guess, when once you start training like that and seeing how far you can push yourself. So, so is that what what uh, what drives you to do those? Is just seeing how far you can push yourself? Yeah, I really like it's a it's a really great sense of accomplishment, right? I mean, it's an Ironman's a long day, <laughs> and it's a it's a it's a huge it's a very challenge. long day. Yeah, it's a very long day. It's a huge challenge. Um, I you know the. The trail running has really got, I really, like, about the last two years, I've put a lot of time and effort into trail running, and I've gotten away from that sense of accomplishment to more of just that love of scenery and the love of the backcountry in Colorado. It's just, you know, running the Continental Divide is just, it's overwhelming how beautiful it is sometimes. So that I think that's really where I've kind of gravitated more to uh, these days. I, I, I don't know if I'm done with Ironman completely, but... Uh, I think you know that's really what I'm focusing now is trail running and and I can take my kiddo with me. I've got, I've got a jogger and can, a lot of trails like uh, up in Staunton and so on. They're wide enough that you can actually take joggers on and things like that. So I really like taking my daughter with me as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so it, it, it's the beauty of Colorado is really opens up once you get on the trail. So. Well, I have a great admiration for you for doing that because I am not a runner. <laughs> uh, so thinking about those distances is uh, is well beyond me. Yeah. So well, that's a lot of fun. Thanks. It's it, it's I love to do it. So for sure. Yeah. So we're getting close to time here. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on? No, I think you know I you know I very appreciate the time. I obviously, you know, have a near and dear uh, you know place in my heart for the. the Colorado security community and uh, you know really appreciate you, you offering to have us on the show so and that actually triggers one more thing that I want to talk about that I almost forgot about yeah you guys were part of the um, the initial secure set 
yeah. um, accelerator class. That's right. Uh, yep. Which is cohort. now the, the accelerator is now called Dark Field. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So I, I wonder if you just uh, talk a little bit about that process yeah. and, and and how that worked and part of being an accelerator. Yeah, I think there's a selection process. It's you know there's the the accelerators. There's other accelerators like uh, TechStars and Boulder and so on. Um, but you know, SecureSet, which is now Darkfield, is, is solely focused on security companies, which I thought was really helpful for us. It wasn't just jumping into a uh, you know accelerator that had you know people doing other widgets and things like that. It was li- literally you know people within the security community within Colorado, as well as outside of Colorado. A couple of the other cohort members were from like Philadelphia, even. So there were folks flying in to be a part of that first cohort or that first class. Um, it was really valuable. It was you know. I, I thought I knew a lot of the folks in the, the Colorado security community, and I, it opened my eyes that I really hadn't. You know, there's lots of people that I had yet to meet and, and, and so on. So that was really helpful. We had lots of help with investor activities. And, you know, as a startup, you, you kind of think you know what you're doing, and then you, you stumble a little bit here and there, and you find that, that you know, that you need, need to go in a different direction or you need to do things, approach things a little bit differently. And having that, so having mentors come in and from other companies that had you know, other mentors from, say, like, you know uh, Scott Chasen from ProtectWise and some other folks that are that have been there, done that, and kind of giving us, you know, looking over our shoulder and helping us out with certain things and giving us some direction and so on was really helpful. Uh, Dave, Dave Odom, and and Alex Kryland, you know, they have immense experience within the industry. Um, they have great contacts from investors as well as even mentors and clients as well. So having you know having clients come in and take a look at our product in its early stages and, and getting feed, good feedback and so on was really helpful. You know, a lot of leadership uh, activities as well. So how, you know, co-founders and how, you know, once you start getting into the nitty gritty of, of business and, and, you know, kind of go at each other's throats a little bit and so on. So having, having be able to, or having kind of leadership class on how to deal with that and kind of stay in your swim lane and, and you know, your CEO does this and you're doing that and so on. So yeah. it was really, all of those things were really helpful. I would highly suggest that if there's other, you know, call, uh, 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 security startups, that they should reach out to, to, to uh, Darkfield, Alex Kryline, and and Dave Odom if they if if they're interested in, in uh, learning more about that. I think it's a very valuable time and it's time well spent for sure. Yeah, and we um, we love SecureSet and those guys. And yep. just for clarification for for people, SecureSet used to be two pieces. There was yep. an education component. And the startup comp- or the accelerator component. That's right. And now they've they've split those, so there still is Secure Set, which yeah. is the education component, and then there's Dark Field, which is the accelerator component. Yeah, you know, we had Alex on early, um, one of our early on interviews as part of the podcast. Oh, you did. Okay. We, you know, we love those guys, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think you know, I, I highly recommend both of them. I think a lot of the folks that are coming out of the the Secure Set Academy, the, the education arm, you know, they're coming out, you know, very well armed, um, very well suited to, to jump right into, you know, security engineering positions and so on. So I think, you know, I think, think the world of both of both sides of that, those, those, that, that secure set, um, accelerator and academy now dark field for the uh, yeah. accelerator part. So, yeah. And, and on your part about not knowing as many people as you thought in the community, yeah. you know, I, I've had that experience too with, uh, you know, with the podcast and everything else, uh, you know, Rob and I went into this thinking, Hey, you know, we know a lot of people, and let's try and bring, bring them together. But as we've gone through the process, it's like, man, there are still so many people that we don't know. Yeah, right. It's it, it's 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 surprising how how extensive the Colorado security community is. It really just you know you know starting at IBM and knowing all these people that that kind of branched out from there. It's, it's really interesting to see 
you know, where they're at these days and, you know, and then bumping into new people as well at Trace 3 and GTRI and all, you know, all yeah. over the place. So, so it's been, been really helpful, been really helpful from the secure set uh, aspect or the accelerator aspect to meet all, to have those people and be able to meet those people and branch out, not just, you know, from ISSA events and so on, but, but, you know, through mentor meetups and things like that. So, yeah. Well, awesome. Uh, um, Cam, it, it's been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks, uh, Alex, so much. Thanks for coming and talking. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, well, appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Hope you have a nice, uh, nice, nice holiday season. So, yeah, you as well. Awesome. And this has been Colorado Equals Security, and we are signing off till next week. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.